Section 13 of Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Penny Witt, voiceover with P.com. Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. Chapter 6, An Accident Rooted in History, Part 2. Criticality, Classification, and Changes. The Solid Rocket Motor Certification was deemed satisfactory by the Propulsion Committee of the Verification Certification Group on September 15, 1980. Shortly thereafter, on November 24, 1980, the Solid Rocket Booster Joint was classified on the Solid Rocket Booster Critical Items List as Criticality Category 1R. NASA defines Criticality 1R as any subsystem of the shuttle that contains, quote, redundant hardware, total element failure of which could cause loss of life or vehicle, end quote. The use of R representing redundancy meant that NASA believed the secondary O-ring would pressurize and seal if the primary O-ring did not. Nonetheless, the 1980 Critical Items List, CIL, states, quote, Redundancy of the secondary field joint seal cannot be verified after motor case pressure reaches approximately 40% of maximum expected operating pressure. It is known that joint rotation occurring at this pressure level with a resulting enlarged extrusion gap causes the secondary O-ring to lose compression as a seal. It is not known if the secondary O-ring would successfully reseal if the primary O-ring should fail after motor case pressure reaches or exceeds 40% of maximum expected operating pressure, end quote. When asked about the text of the 1980 Criticality 1R classification, Arnold Aldridge, NASA manager of the National Space Transportation System, said, Quote, the way that language reads, I would call it criticality one, end quote. Notwithstanding this apparent contradiction in the classification 1R and the questionable status of the secondary described in the text of the CIL, the joint carried a 1R classification from November 1980 through the flight of the STS-5, November 1982. The space shuttle first flew on April 12 to 14, 1981. After the second flight, the STS-2, in November 1981, inspection revealed the first in-flight erosion of the primary O-ring. It occurred in the right solid rocket booster's aft field joint and was caused by hot motor gases. The damage to the ring proved to be the worst ever found on a primary O-ring in a field joint on any recovered solid rocket booster. Post-flight 
examination found an erosion depth of 0.053 inches on the primary O-ring. Nonetheless, the anomaly was not reported in the Level 1 Flight Readiness Review for STS-3, held on March 9, 1982. Furthermore, in 1982, the STS-2 O-ring erosion was not reported on the Marshall Problem Assessment System and given a tracking number as were other flight anomalies. In mid-1982, two significant developments took place. Because Thiokol believed blowholes in the insulating putty were a cause of the erosion on STS-2, they began tests of the method of putty lay-up and the effect of the assembly of the rocket stages on the integrity of the putty. The manufacturer of the original putty, Fuller O'Brien, discontinued the product, and a new putty from the Randolph Products Company was tested and selected in May 1982. The new Randolph putty was eventually substituted for the old putty in the summer of 1983 for the STS-8 solid rocket motor flow. A second major event regarding the joint seal occurred in the summer of 1982. As noted before, in 1977-78, through 78, Leon Ray had concluded that joint rotation caused the loss of the secondary O-ring as a backup seal. Because of May 1982 high-pressure O-ring tests and the tests of the new lightweight motor case, Marshall Management finally accepted the conclusion that the secondary O-ring was no longer functional after the joints rotated when the solid rocket motor reached 40% of its maximum expected operating pressure. It obviously followed that the dual O-rings were not a completely redundant system, so the Criticality 1R had to be changed to Criticality 1. This was done at Marshall on December 17, 1982. The revised critical items list read, see pages 157 and 158, quote, Criticality Category 1, Failure Mode and Causes, Leakage at case assembly joints due to redundant O-ring seal failures or primary seal and leak check port O ring failure. Note leakage of the primary O-ring seal is classified as a single failure point due to possibility of loss of sealing at the secondary O-ring because of joint rotation after motor pressurization. Failure effects summary. Actual loss, loss of mission, vehicle and crew due to metal erosion burn through and probable case burst resulting in fire and deflagration. Rationale for retention. The solid rocket motor case joint design is common in the lightweight and regular weight cases having identical dimensions. The joint concept is basically the same as the single O-ring joint successfully employed in the Titan III solid rocket motor. On the shuttle solid rocket motor, 
The secondary O-ring was designed to provide redundancy and to permit a leak check, ensuring proper installation of the O-rings. Full redundancy exists at the moment of initial pressurization. However, test data shows that a phenomenon called joint rotation occurs as the pressure rises, opening up the O-ring extrusion gap and permitting the energized ring to protrude into the gap. This condition has been shown by test to be well within the required for safety primary O-ring sealing. This gap may, however, in some cases increase sufficiently to cause the unenergized secondary O-ring to lose compression, raising question as to its ability to energize and seal if called upon to do so by primary seal failure. Since under this latter condition only this single O-ring is sealing, a rational for retention is provided for the simplex mode where only one O-ring is acting. End quote. Emphasis added. The retention rationale for the simplex or single O-ring seal was written on December 1, 1982 by Howard McIntosh, a thiocol engineer. This document gave the justification for flight with the single functional O-ring. It reported that tests showed the thiocol design should be retained, citing that the Titan history, the leak, and the hydroburst tests and static motor firings as justification. However, it is also contained in the following rationale, which appeared to conflict with the Criticality 1 classification that the secondary O-ring was not redundant. Quote, Initial information generated in the lightweight cylinder-to-cylinder -cylinder proof test shows a total movement of only 0 .030 inch at pounds per square inch, gauge pressure in the center joint. This indicates that the tang to cleaves movement will not unseat the secondary O-ring at operating pressures, end quote. Testimony and hearings and statements given in commission interviews support the view that NASA management and Thiaco still consider the joint to be a redundant seal even after the change from criticality 1R to 1. For example, McIntosh's interview states, Question. After the criticality one classification, what did you think it would take to make the joint seal 1R? Mr. McIntosh. I thought it was already 1R. I thought that after those tests, that would have been enough to do it. Question. Well, you know it was 1, but you were hoping for 1R? Mr. McIntosh. Yeah, I was hoping for 1R, and I thought this test data would do it, but it didn't. At the time, in 1982-83, the redundancy of the secondary O-ring was analyzed in terms of joint or hardware geometry, with no consideration being given to the resiliency of the ring as affected by temperatures. Moreover, Marshall engineers like Ray and Miller disagreed with Thiokol's calculations on the measurement of the joint opening. 
That engineering debate eventually went to a referee for testing which was not concluded until after the 5-1-L accident. Notwithstanding the view of some of Marshall engineers that the secondary ring was not redundant, even at the time of the criticality revision, Marshall Solid Rocket Motor Program Management appeared to believe the seal was redundant in all but exceptional cases. Dr. Judson Lovingood told the commission, quote, There are two conditions you have to have before you don't have redundancy. One of them is what I call a spatial condition, which says that the dimensional tolerances have to be such that you get a bad stack up. You don't have proper squeeze, etc. On the O-ring so that when you get joint rotation, you will lift the metal surfaces off the O-ring. All right, that's the one condition, and that is the worst case condition involving dimensional tolerances. The other condition is a temporal condition, which says that you have to be past a point of joint rotation. And of course, that relates back to what I just said. So first of all, if you don't have this bad stack up, then you don't have full redundancy. Now, secondly, if you do have the bad stack up, you had redundancy during the ignition transient up to the 170 millisecond point, whatever it is, but that is the way I understand the critical items list. End quote. George Hardy and Lawrence Mulroy shared Loving Good's view that the secondary seal was redundant in all but situations of worst-case tolerances. However, there is no mention of this caveat in the critical items list itself, nor does it appear in the subsequent waiver of the Criticality 1 status granted by NASA Levels 1 and 2 in March 1983. This waiver was approved to avoid the obligations imposed on the shuttle program by paragraph 2.8 of the Space Shuttle Program Requirements document, Level 1, dated June 30, 1977. That paragraph states, quote, The redundancy requirements for all flight vehicle subsystems, except primary structure, thermal protection system and pressure vessels shall be established on an individual subsystems basis, but shall not be less than fail-safe. Fail-safe is defined as the ability to sustain a failure and retain the capability to successfully terminate the mission. Redundant systems shall be designed so that their operational status can be verified during ground turn around and to the maximum extent possible while in flight, end quote. Glenn Looney, the former manager of the STS program, Level 2 at JSC, described the criticality one change in resulting waiver to the commission on May 2nd, quote, Mr. Looney, well, the approval of the waiver in March of 83, at the time I was involved in that, I was operating on the assumption that there really would be redundancy most of the time, except when the secondary O-ring had a set of dimensional tolerances 
add up, and in that extreme case, there would not be a secondary seal. So I was dealing with what I thought was a case where there were two seals, unless the dimensional tolerances were such that there might only be one seal in certain cases. Chairman Rogers. Now, to me, if you will excuse the expression, that sounds almost contradictory, what you just said. What you first said was that you came to the conclusion that you could only rely on the primary seal, and therefore you remove the R. Mr. Looney. Yes, sir. Chairman Rogers. And now you're saying, if I understand it, that experience showed that there was redundancy after all. Mr. Looney. No, I don't know of any experience showing that. What I'm saying is that the removal of the R is an indicator that under all circumstances we did not have redundancy. There were a certain number of cases under which we would not have redundancy of the secondary O-ring, recognizing that even though there were a lot of cases where we expected would have redundancy, we changed the criticality designation. Chairman Rogers. It was saying to everybody else, you can't necessarily rely on the primary seal, and if the primary seal fails, as you have said here, there may be loss of vehicle, mission, and crew. Mr. Looney, I would adjust that to only say you cannot rely on the secondary O-ring, but we would expect the primary O-ring to always be there. The criticality waiver was processed outside the formal NASA program requirements control board. However, representatives of that group signed off on the document. It was forwarded to Level 1 and approved by Associate Administrator for Spaceflight Technical L. Michael Weeks on March 28, 1983, Weeks told the commission he signed the waiver because of the certification verification review of the Propulsion Committee in 1980. Weeks explained, quote, We felt at the time all of the people in the program, I think, felt that this solid rocket motor in particular, or the solid rocket booster, was probably one of the least worrisome things we had in the program. End quote. The waiver was signed less than one week prior to the launch of STS-6 on April 4th. According to interviews of Arnold Aldrich and of Richard Kors, the latter having been involved with the Wavier review at Johnson Level 2, the Wavier was approved so that STS-6 could fly. However, Weeks denied any connection between the Level 1 Wavier approval and the flight of the STS-6. Although some thiacal engineers and officials claimed that they had no notice of the criticality change, and Wavier in December 1982 and in March 1983 from the approval signatures, including Thiokol's operation manager at Marshall, Maurice Parker. And the distribution of the criticality and Wavier documents, apparently Thiokol officials were sent copies and were involved in the criticality reclassification. 
Nonetheless, the Commission has also determined that several documents tracking the O-ring erosion at Cyclone and Marshall referred to the solid rocket motor field joint seal as criticality 1R long after the status was changed to criticality 1. STS-41-B O-ring erosion As figure 2 shows, prior to STS-41-B, the O-ring erosion blow-by problem was infrequent, occurring on a field joint of STS-2, November 1981, nozzles of STS-6, April 1983, and a nozzle of QM-4, March 1983, a qualification test motor fired by Thiokol. However, when STS-41-B flew on February 3, 1984, the left solid rocket booster forward field joint and the right nozzle joint primary O-rings both suffered erosion damage. Diacol engineers reacted to this discovery by filing a problem report on the O-ring erosion found on STS-41-B. Diacol presented a series of charts to the Marshall Solid Rocket Booster Engineering Office about the 41-B O-ring erosion. Diacol told Marshall that recent joint rotation measurements in test indicated the secondary O-ring will not unseat, providing confidence that the secondary was an adequate backup. Keith Coates described his view about Thiokol's data in a February 29, 1984 memorandum to George Hardy. Quote, We have two problems with their rationale. The effect of the 0.065-inch erosion on the O-ring sealing capability is not addressed. We have asked Thiokol to provide their data to justify their confidence in the degraded O-ring. The second concern is the amount of joint rotation. L. Ray does not agree with Thiokol's numbers, and he has action to discuss his concern with R. Boisjulet, Thiokol, and reach agreement. Thiokol's definition of their plans on resolution of the problem is very weak, end quote. The erosion problem was identified and tracked by the Marshall Problem Assessment System as Marshall Record A-07934 and by Thiokol as Thiokol Contractor Record DR-4-5-30. Slight char condition in primary O-ring seal in forward field joint on SRM a57 of STS-11 Flight Mission 41B. The Marshall Problem Assessment System report states, quote, Remedial action none required. Problem occurred during flight. The primary O-ring seal in the forward field joint exhibited a charred area approximately one inch long, 0 0.03 to 0 0.050 inches deep, and 0 0.100 inches wide. 
This was discovered during the post-flight segment disassembly at KSC, end quote. A March 8, 1984 entry on the same report continues, quote, Possibility exists for some O-ring erosion on future flights. Analysis indicates maximum erosion possible is 0.90 inches according to flight readiness review findings for STS-13. Laboratory tests show ceiling integrity at 3,000 PSI using an O-ring with simulated erosion depth of 0.095 inches. Therefore, this is not a constraint to future launches, end quote. This last entry is also a summary of the briefing given by Thiokol to Lawrence Malloy about the 41-B erosion at the Level 3 Flight Readiness Review for STS-41-C held at Marshall on March 8, 1984. At that same briefing, the chief engineer for United Space Boosters, George Moorfield, raised prior Titan experience with O-ring problems. He explained in a memorandum to Malloy the following day, quote, I alluded to the Titan III SRM history, which is quite similar to the current STS solid rocket motor experience. Post-fire inspection of the Titan solid rocket motor, static test motors showed that pressurization of the single O-rings in the pressure vessel routinely occurred via a single breakdown path across the joint putty. There was also evidence that some O-rings never see pressure in the Titan motor. The segment-to-segment -segment case insulation design results in a compression but joint, which apparently is often sufficient to withstand PC. Your review showed that there was sufficient margin of O-ring remaining to do the job. I'm sure you have considered that if it does burn through, the secondary O-ring will then be similarly pressurized through a single port, so some concern remains. I recommended that you set up a panel to study the use of putty and consider some alternatives. One, is putty needed at all? Two, if the tradition can't be broken, can the putty be applied with multiple six or eight pressurization paths built in? I think that the primary seal should be allowed to work in its classical design mode. Both the Titan and the STS solid rocket motors have been designed for this not to happen. Titan has flown over a thousand pressure joints with no failure. My opinion is that the potential for failure for the joint is higher for the STS solid rocket motor, especially when occasionally the secondary seal may not be totally effective. End quote. When the 41B erosion was taken to the Level 1 Flight Readiness Review, for 41C on March 30th, 1984, it was briefed as a technical issue. A recommendation to fly 41C was approved by Level 1, accepting the possibility of some O-ring erosion due to the hot gas impingement. 
The rationale for acceptance was the same as that given at the Level 3 Flight Readiness Review and entered into the Marshall Problem Assessment Report. An outgrowth of this review was an April 5, 1984 directive from NASA Deputy Administrator Dr. Hans Mark to Lawrence Malloy at Marshall. This programmatic action item was signed by Weeks and asked Malloy to conduct a formal review of the solid rocket motor case-to-case and case-to-nozzle joint sealing procedures to ensure satisfactory consistent closeouts. This action item had been preceded by a letter written from NASA Associate Administrator for Space Flight General Abramson to Marshall Center Director Lucas. The letter sent January 18, 1984, requested that Marshall develop a plan of action to make improvement in NASA's ability to design, manufacture, and fly solid rocket motors. Abramson pointed out that NASA was flying motors where basic design and test results were not well understood. The letter addressed the overall general solid rocket motor design, but did not specifically mention O-ring erosion. After Malloy received the April 5, 1984 STS-41-C action item on the O-rings, he had Lawrence Ware forward a letter to Thiokol, which asked for a formal review of the booster field joint and nozzle joint sealing procedures. Thiokol was to identify the cause of the erosion, determine whether it was acceptable, define necessary changes, and reevaluate the putty then in use. The Ware letter also requested small motor tests reflecting joint dynamics as well as analysis of booster assembly process. Thiokol replied to the Marshall STS-41C action item, on May 4, 1984, with a program plan entitled Protection of SRM Primary Motor Seals. The plan was prepared by Brian Russell, then Thiokol's Manager of Systems Engineering. It outlined a systemic problem to isolate the O-ring erosion and charring problem and to eliminate damage to the joint seals. Proposed areas of the inquiry included the leak check pressures, assembly loads, case eccentricity, and putty layup. The Thiokol response in May 1984 was merely a proposal. The actual final response to the directive from Marshall was not completed until August 19, 1985, briefing on the solid rocket motor seal held at Nassau headquarters some 15 months later. End of section 13. Recording by Penny Witt, voiceover with P.com.